0: Again, to church today, especially those of you who are here for the very first time. If this is your first time joining us here at Vibrant Church, or if this is your first time joining us online, church, can we be friendly and just welcome everybody here that's here for the very first time? So glad to have you. Uh, You're our special guest. We're so glad that you're joining us today. I want to welcome you to our series on Revelation. Everybody say Revelation. And before we jump into it, let me just say, man, we just concluded an amazing 21 days of prayer. Many of you partner with us in that, and man, every morning of this last 21 days, being able to join with you and partner in prayer, the testimonies that we received over the last 21 days have been so humbling, how God has moved in the lives of people, how breakthroughs have happened. We've had some miracles happen, some stories come out of this, some reconciliation. There's been a lot of things that God has done in the last 21 days. I really believe that everything God does in the earth must first be paved with prayer. Can you say amen, everybody? So I'm so glad that for a praying church and we had hundreds and hundreds of people, even into the thousands that joined us online uh, during these last 21 days and it was so amazing. And uh, we're so glad, we believe it sets the tone for everything we're gonna do this fall is that we pave it in prayer. But today, I'm glad you're here for Revelation. In fact, if you got your note sheet, I want you to get it out. Uh, I'm gonna be moving rather quickly today. I want There's a lot that I have in me that I wanna give you and I want you just to hang with me. And those of you online, please, you, you probably already have uh, downloaded the note sheet. You're gonna wanna download that and follow along today because today, we're gonna talk about counterfeits. Everybody say counterfeits. Revelation 13 is a chapter about counterfeit gods. It's a chapter about counterfeit faith. It's a chapter about counterfeit worship. And in many ways, this is the chapter you've been waiting for in our study on the book of Revelation. This is the chapter that talks about the beast. This is the chapter that talks about the mark of the beast that everyone gets for buying and selling during the tribulation period. This is the chapter that has that intriguing little number from the book of Revelation 666. This is the chapter, right? This is is where all the things that people talk about and interpret in the book of Revelation, they all come from this very chapter. Chapter, But before we dive into the details of it, I wanna remind you of a broad view of this. Remember that Revelation is a book about worshiping God. And it's a reason that for that, is that it reminds us about worshiping God because it reminds us that our worship of God is what keeps our focus in the crazy world that we live in. I got one response of an amen, hallelujah. We're gonna get there today, okay everybody. But how many believe that in the crazy world we live in right now, that what keeps our focus is the worship of our God? I don't know what we'd do without church. That's why we're not closing the doors of this building. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they do. We are essential to what's happening in our world right now. And if it weren't for the worship of our God, man, we would lose our ever-living mind Amen, everybody. And that's what Revelation talks about is it it puts our focus back on the worship of God. Revelation 13 is a chapter about false worship, though. Revelation 13 is about worshiping Satan himself. And last week, we looked at at chapter 12, and we saw the, the overall influence of evil in this world. And we answered the question, why is there evil in the world? And the reason is because Satan is real. How many believe he's real? He's real, and we also learned that it's because God will not be defeated. Can you say amen? And, and, and the reason evil exists is because every victory has a battle attached to it. You can't have victory without a battle. But this week in chapter 13, we look at some details about some of the evil that exists in this world and evil that will come upon this world. In many ways, this is a dark chapter, and there there are a lot of questions that this chapter brings up, and we're going to look at a lot of those questions today as we journey into the Word of God. As we begin to get into the details of this, I want to remind you of something that we looked at a couple of weeks ago that with all the varieties of opinions and interpretations of this book, how do you sort through what is God's word and what is the words of man? If there's one thing that I would love for everybody in this room and online to take away from our study of Revelation together, it would be this, that if you would understand the difference between prophetic Revelation and prophetic interpretation and prophetic speculation, then you will be greatly equipped to study Revelation and have a firm understanding of what God is really telling us. So prophetic Revelation, we understand, is that which God has already spoken about it. And we understand and we know that that can only be found in his word. How many believe that God's word is infallible? It is living and breathing. It's not just a book of good truth. It is the living, breathing word of the living God. I don't care what anybody says about it. Well, truth is relative to whatever you think truth is for you. No, there is an absolute truth, and it is the Word of God. I don't care what society says. I don't care what culture says. It's what God says. That's all that matters. I ain't trying to be politically correct. I'm trying to be biblically correct. That's all that matters. I feel good today. And so you have prophetic revelation That which God has already said, and we find that in His Word. But we also have prophetic interpretation, which we talked about as the historic broadly held interpretations that people have about what God said and we'll look at some of those today as we dive into chapter 13 about you know what do these numbers mean and who is the beast and and what have Christians talked about over 2,000 years about these things and the third thing we have is prophetic speculation these are our personal ideas about present possibilities that people have. So this is speculation. When people read prophecy in Scripture, and they, it's just speculation that you know, you know, I think the beast is this, or you know, I think the number six 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 means this, or you know, I think this, or I think that. And we'll look at some of those speculations today. Many times, though, remember that these speculations don't come out of study of Scripture. Most of the time, people's speculations come from a flash across our mind. We read something, and you know, the pizza we ate the night before kind of takes over. Right? And we're like, well, I think it means this, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean that God is saying that. Can I get an amen, somebody? So today, our focus more today is going to be on the interpretation rather than the speculation. And like I said, this chapter does have a lot of evil in it, but I always wanna elevate hope. Anybody a hope fan today? I wanna start with, with hope. What, what truths about God and about his word give you hope when things are at their darkest? My goal is that we'll leave here today knowing his word in a better and stronger way and in such a way that it gives us a greater hope and a greater confidence in the future that God has for us. So I want you to stick with me. There's gonna be some, some tough things to look through first because God is very honest with us about the future, but then we're gonna land the plane on some hope. Amen, everybody. Come on, anybody glad we're gonna end with some hope today? So if you leave me halfway through the message, you're gonna be depressed all week long because it's not gonna look good. But I'm so glad that God is the the, the beginning and the end. Amen, everybody. And so we're gonna get to that today. But Revelation 13, as we dive into this, and if you're just joining us for this series, we've been in this series for several weeks, I believe that the Holy Spirit burdened my heart with this because of the times that we're living in. And let me just, I'm gonna get into it, but let me just side trail for a moment. For those of you that are new with us, a lot of the questions I've been asked over the last several months as a pastor have been around The area of of Pastor, do you believe that we are in the last days? This is the number one question I've been asked by Christians all over the place. And I can tell you right now, if you heard me say it before, the moment Jesus' foot left this earth, we entered the last days. Because the rapture of the church is imminent. It could happen at any moment, at any time. And so we are in the last days, but I believe that we are prophetically careening right now a snowball effect toward the end of days. I believe we're in the last of the last of the 11th hour. I believe that the things Jesus even talked about at the beginning of sorrows, I believe we're entering those times right now. So let me give you the bad news, I'll give you the good news. For those of you just joining us, the bad news is if you're looking for this world to get any better, you're out of luck. It's not gonna get any better. That's according to scripture. This is the beginning of things that will come. The good news is God will always oversee his people and God will always provide and protect his people. And so that's the good news. And I believe we're gonna enter the greatest hour the church has ever seen in history. I, we talked about, we sang about a move. I believe the greatest move of God is about to hit this earth in, in a way. And I believe we're gonna be part of it. Amen. Glory to God. I believe we're gonna be part of it. And so if you're joining us, that's why We are in this series. This world is not gonna get any better. Let me just say it like this. If you, either this world is gonna be all you got or there's something else to look forward to. And I say it like this. If this world is all you have, it's gonna get worse and worse and worse. But if you are in Christ, then this world is as good as it's gonna get for you because it's gonna get better and better on the other side of it, right? So if you don't have Jesus, listen, this is as good as it's gonna get for you right now. If you don't have Jesus, this is as good as your life is gonna be. This is it. Because everything after this without Christ is really bad. But if you're in Christ, hey, this is the worst it's gonna get for you. Because everything after this is gonna be real good. Aren't you glad about that, everybody? So Revelation 13, are you ready to get into it? Say yes. So if it talks about two beasts. Everybody say beast. It talks about two beasts in chapter 13 as we journey into it, and first of all, it talks about the beast out of the sea, and that's what we're gonna look at first, and we pick it up in Revelation 13, verses one through three. John said, and I saw a beast coming from the sea, and it had 10 horns and seven heads with 10 crowns on its horns, and each head uh, each a blasphemous name. The beast I saw, that, and I want you to pay attention to this, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but it had the feet of those of a what? a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. lion. And the dragon gave the beast its power and its throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but that wound was healed. So I wanna stop right there, and I first wanna talk about, let's look at some descriptions of the beast. That John describes this first beast that's coming out of the sea, and he describes it in some ways. He said, first of all, that this beast has ten horns, it rises out of the sea, and it has ten horns, and it has seven heads, and it has crowns on its heads. Isn't that a beautiful picture, everybody? I mean, this is this is stuff you want to read to your children, right? I mean, you look like, what is that? I mean, it's just gross, right? But then it also, John describes the beast and says that it resembles a leopard and a bear and a lion. We're gonna come back to that in just a moment. And then John saw and said that one of its heads seems to have a fatal wound. Now, what do these descriptions mean? There are three major ideas here. There are three interpretations that Christians have talked about for thousands of years. The first interpretation is that this is just about the government of Rome and the day that John wrote this. And the truth is, you can read many, many commentaries on the book of Revelation and, many, and have many, many different views about what this means, and every one of them will come back to the point that there is something about Rome here that you can't miss. Later, we're gonna get into chapter 17, and it's gonna tell us that the heads of this beast, the seven heads, represent hills. Rome was actually built on seven hills, it was a city built on seven hills. So it's pretty obvious that there is some indication of the Roman government oppressing and persecuting the Christians of the first century. And we read about that through history and what was going on there. And there are some people think that this is all this means. But it's hard to see when you begin to read through all the terrible things that this beast does and the horrors and the, how this beast ends. It's hard to see that it's just talking about what's in the past. But there are some people who do believe that way i'm I'm one of the people that believe in something called prophetic fulfillment that that has to do with the past and the future. It certainly happened with Jesus if you go back and read the prophecies that in the Old Testament that, of, of the, that prophesied his first coming when he was born in Bethlehem the very Those prophecies were fulfilled in that day in a different way, in a lesser way as they were being written. But then they were fulfilled in a greater way when Jesus actually entered this earth. So I believe that there are some of the same kind of prophecies here in Revelation. Some of these prophecies were fulfilled in the day they were written. Rome did fall. Rome was a global empire that persecuted the church. So there's some truth, there is a prophetic fulfillment past, which is a lesser fulfillment, but there also gonna be a greater fulfillment in the end of days to what John is talking about. Are you following what I'm saying? So the first interpretation is that this is all about Rome. The second interpretation that people have is this is about any power in any age that sets itself up as anti-God in the world. To me, That's too broad of an interpretation, but there are those who believe this. And the third interpretation of this is that this is uh, representing the great final ruler of the world that is to come. And these descriptions are indications of this government or this person who will rule the world. We call that person the Antichrist. I just wanna give you a news flash this morning. It's gonna blow some of your minds. The name Antichrist is not found anywhere in the book of Revelation. Some of you are like, what did he say, Margaret? I can't believe he said that. It's true. The word antichrist ain't found anywhere in the book of Revelation. It's found in other books in the New Testament, and that's why I do believe there will be such a person to emerge in the end of days. John, the apostle, talks about many antichrists that emerged throughout history, but he also talks about a great final one that is to come. The apostle Paul even talked about a man of lawlessness, that would be unleashed on the world someday. Again and again, there's this indication of a great final ruler. So which one is it? Is it about Rome? Is it about any power throughout history that sets itself up as anti-God? Or is it about a one final ruler in the earth? Which one do you choose? Believe it or not, you really can be faithful to God's word and choose all three. Because there is truth in all three of those interpretations. Are you getting what I'm saying? It is true that Rome, when you, you can see this incredible power of evil in the Roman Empire working to destroy first century Christians, you can't miss it. So there was hope that was given to the people of John's day when they read the Revelation because they were living in it. This gave hope to them. And it was true, and it's absolutely true that you can see in any government that has existed in history that has oppressed people who want to have faith in Jesus, you can see the dominance of evil in that. And it is true that God has revealed to us that someday what began in the first century and has continued to become greater and greater throughout all of the centuries is going to culminate in one great final world ruler at the end of days. Are y'all with me this morning? And that rulership is gonna set itself up against God and it's gonna set itself up against God's people. That shouldn't surprise us. This is what's been happening all along. This is what's been happening since the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It shouldn't surprise us at all. Now, when you start to drill down a little bit into this, you've got these seven heads and you've got these 10 horns. What are these these 10 horns? Those are also an indication of power. Everybody say power. Some people believe that these these are 10 world leaders that will be here at the end of time. That could be true, that that there are seven kingdoms and seven heads on the the beast that we just read, out of which there'll be 10 world leaders that will come with great power. But I wanna tell you something about this. It's tough to find any two Christians who agree on this one. They agreed for a little while when the European Economic Union, remember the EEU, when they begin to formulate that years ago, they actually started with 10 countries and everybody in Christianity all aligned. This is it. This is the 10 horns in Revelation 13, right? And then all of a sudden, they begin to add more countries to it, and it just got confusing and messed up everybody's theology. So if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us, I believe that there is gonna be not total agreement, because some people don't listen to the Holy Spirit, but there's gonna be a sense of unity about the truth. Is it okay to have an opinion about this? I guess. But by and large, it's a waste of time to have so many opinions about something that we don't know what's gonna happen with it, right? That's not the point. Don't get bogged down into what do the horns mean? What do the toenails on the beast mean? Don't get so lost in that that you miss the whole point of what the Holy Spirit's trying to communicate. How many of you just wanna grab what the Holy Spirit's saying to us, right? Personally, I'd rather focus on the defeat of evil in the world today than try to figure out who the 10 countries may be or may not be, right? Here's what I can guarantee you. I can guarantee you that when it happens, it's gonna be crystal clear. I promise you, to, to whatever believers are in the earth during the time of tribulation, it will be absolutely crystal clear what God is doing with these, with, with these symbols. The fact is, we all have ideas about What the Bible says will happen at the end of time, but there is vast disagreement about the timing and the details, and and that really shouldn't bother us. We're always gonna have disagreements and different views on certain things. Jesus said, though, that he didn't even know what day or the hour was gonna be. Only his Father in heaven knew that. So come on, if we don't know the day or the hour, if we can't figure out what day or the hour, should that bother us as Christians? Should that make us feel like we're not studying God's word hard enough? Or should that make us feel like we're not being faithful enough to God? No, Jesus didn't even know. So how are we gonna know? Could it be an indication? Yes, these horns usually indicate leaders in prophetic progression. But what is What is it really indicating to us? We don't know yet. We don't have all the answers to that. And when you have an abundance of people over generation after generation given so many different interpretations and so many different personal opinions about all of it, how many believe it can get confusing? It gets really confusing. But I'm here to tell you, I wanna encourage you this morning, God's word was not written to confuse us. Come on, somebody, I have a deep conviction about this. God's word is not written to confuse God's people. It's written to clarify what God is trying to speak to us directly and to make that truth crystal clear. The truth is clear. It's incredibly clear to me. Watch, here it is right here. Just as in Rome, there was world leaders that set themselves up against God and his people. And just like all throughout history, there have been world leaders to set themselves up against God and his people. In the end, there's gonna be a final great world leader who sets himself up against God and his people. Did you hear that, everybody? That's the truth that God's trying to convey to us. Now, as you read these descriptions, don't miss the Old Testament picture here. This is fascinating. I want you to follow me with this. Because the book of Daniel gives a very similar picture. The prophet Daniel gives a very similar picture that anyone in John's day, that when they read the revelation, they would have known because they would have remembered what Daniel said. They'd have been like, oh my gosh, that's very similar. And here's what I mean. In Daniel chapter seven, the prophet Daniel prophesied this. He prophesied four great beasts each from different, uh, 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 each different from the others, came up from the sea. Notice the similarities here. Now, watch this. This is fascinating. The first was like a lion, and there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. After that, I looked, and there before me was a f- another beast, one that looked like a leopard. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast. Now, notice the fourth beast he's talking about here. It's not an animal he's talking about now. I'm gonna show you what this is. I looked, there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had what? 10 horns. Notice, notice, notice. It's the same animals that John sees in Revelation. You think that's by accident? So watch, in Daniel seven, you have the same animals being depicted or depicting this great, these great beasts. You see the, the beast that looked like a lion in Daniel, a beast that looked like a bear, and one that looked like a leopard. And then here in Revelation 13, you see the same thing, except it's in reverse order. A leopard, a bear, and a lion. That is no accident. Now understand, Daniel was writing about four successive kingdoms that came upon the earth during his time. But remember I talked about prophetic fulfillment. There is a past fulfillment and a future fulfillment. And notice Daniel saw four beasts. He saw four beasts. Three of them represented one of these animals. But notice the fourth one was a a prophetic it was prophetically pointing toward the final world ruler with the same 10 horns as what John saw in Revelation 13. But here in Revelation 13, this is what's fascinating. John saw one beast, not four. He describes one world ruler, don't miss this, that had the makeup of all the animals combined. It wasn't four, it was one with all four characteristics. He said, the beast he saw, John said, resembled a leopard, but he had feet like a bear and a mouth like a lion. So watch, don't miss this. It's as if all the evil that was in all those kingdoms that Daniel prophesied about, that set themselves up against God and against God's people, it's as if all of the evil in all those kingdoms is now embodied in one world ruler here in Revelation 13. Do you see the picture? This beast doesn't just look like a lion. It doesn't look just like a bear. It doesn't look just like a leopard. He looks like all of them. All of the evil, all of the world leaders that we can study through history who have been the most evil are all combined in one. Can you imagine the evil that this embodies? God is saying to us in the most vivid way he can, here is the ultimate epitome of evil. Everything in one horrible package unleashed upon the earth at one time. The point is, you can't limit the beast to the past and you can't limit him in Revelation 13 to the future. If you miss that point, that that gave hope to the early church believers who suffered persecution from Rome, then you missed the point of the book of Revelation. If you miss that point that this book has continued to give hope to believers who have suffered from their governments and from other world leaders throughout history who have set themselves up against God and his people over the last 2,000 years, then you miss the point if you miss that point. But also you miss the point that a great world leader will one day arise when the world comes to the final days, who sets himself up against God and his people and who will be worshiped as God and then destroyed. If you miss that, you've missed the whole point of Revelation. Are y'all tracking with me? So what kind of world ruler will this final beast be? What John is depicting, write this down. This is a political leader that rules through intimidation. This is a political leader that rules through intimidation. In a moment, we're gonna look at the actions of this beast and we'll see that it's the intimidating actions that he has that says, you have to bow and you will worship me or else. But let's go back to verse three because I wanna show you something. Because it says here in verse three, uh, let me go back. Verse three was supposed to be there, but it said in verse three that one of the heads of the beast seem to have a fatal wound. Everybody say fatal wound. So many people have speculated, what does that mean? What about this wound on the head of, uh, one of the heads of the beast? Well, there are three drastic interpretations that people have about this that they've had for thousands of years. One is that it's symbolic picture of a weakness of this ruler or, or the kingdom that he rules that, 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 that the leader or the kingdom itself had some kind of a weakness had some kind of a wound to it. The second interpretation is that it 's a picture of a nation that falls and then rises again. One of the suggestions i heard this i 've heard this taught theologically throughout my years of study, and that is there's one pre- predominant view in the realm of eschatology, which is what this is, it's the study of end times, that's what eschatology, in the arena of eschatology, there's a a dominant viewpoint that some scholars have that in the end of days, the old Roman Empire is going to resurrect to its former glory. And that the Antichrist will come from that. That is one view, one interpretation. That it's the fall of Rome, but the, the resurrection of the Roman Empire. The third interpretation is that this is all about an individual person. It's not just a nation that falls and rises again, but it's an individual within a nation, or a ruler, or a person who falls and dies and is brought back to life again to get the attention of humanity. And there are many great believers throughout history who have believed in all three of those interpretations. If it is a person, who is he? I'm telling you, there are all kinds of rumors about this throughout history. And here in America, boy, we love some conspiracy theories, don't we? I mean, we, we love them, man. And interestingly, most of our conspiracy theories in America revolve around some president in history, right? And we actually have one of those that go along with this scripture about the beast being wounded in the head. Believe it or not, there are many people over the last 40, 50 years in the body of Christ who actually believe that this is a world ruler in Revelation 13. This must be John F. Kennedy, Must be, because he was wounded in the head. But let me ask you this, when people say that, are they doing a good job of interpreting the book of Revelation? No. Because the heads here don't represent the head of a person, they represent kingdoms here, all these heads. They represent kingdoms, they represent nations. In a minute, we're gonna talk about another crazy idea of who the Antichrist might be. That's just one of them. Oh, they get crazier. Oh, they get real crazy. The incredible thing to me, is what the world's response is gonna be to all of this here in Revelation 13 during the tribulation. Here is this evil ruler who comes and rules the world through intimidation. He tries to set himself up as a counterfeit God. Remember, this is after the trumpet judgments have blown. And people have seen the glory of God. This is after they've seen God work clearly in the world. This is after all that happens and the seals have been opened and, and the judgment of God has come upon the earth. And after all that happens, you have this emergence of the Antichrist, this false and counterfeit God. And what is the world's response? What do people do? They worship him. Wow, that's their response. They worship him. Well, how do you know that? Let's go back to verses three through four. It says that one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Look at this. People what? Worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshiped the beast and asked, who is like this beast? Who can wage war against it? Humanity worships the beast and says, who is like this beast? Who is like this God? that is before us. And so that's the description of the first beast. What are the actions? Let's look at that. What are the actions of this beast? I'm gonna look at this very quickly and show you because John moves from describing this beast to now showing you what he actually does. And let's look at verses five through eight. He says, the beast was given a mouth, first of all, to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given also the power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. It was given authority over every tribe and every people and every language and every nation. And so very quickly, let's look at the actions of this first beast, here they are. First of all, he's given a mouth to utter blasphemies for 42 months. Next, John says, he's given power to make war against the saints. And then, John says, he's also given authority over every nation of the world. So he rules with an iron fist, he rules with intimidation, and with extreme brutality and violence. So this beast is a political leader who rules with intimidation, and yet people worship him. Does it surprise you? No. God pours out his glory. This is what should surprise us that God pours out his glory, that God shows himself to the world. He shows them where things are headed if you don't put your trust in him. Think about it. What did Adam and Eve do in the Garden of Eden when God came into the Garden of Eden? They ran from him. They hid from him. And now here at the end of days, Satan's spokesman is coming into the world and he immediately intimidates the world and brutalizes the world for a little bit of time. And what does the world do? They don't run from him and hide like they did God in the Garden of Eden. No, they run to him and. They they worship him, and that's what it says. The response to these actions are, they worship the beast. John describes him, and it says off the description, people worship him, then he gives the actions of them, and based on the actions, humanity still worships him. It says in verse eight, all the inhabitants of the earth, help me out everybody, all the inhabitants of the earth will what? Worship the beast, worship the beast. all. I looked into the Greek interpretation of the word all and it means all. (laughs) All the inhabitants of the earth. All whose, this is the difference, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Listen, for every one of us today who love the Lord That should be one of the greatest moments of sadness in this entire chapter for us. That people worship a false God rather than a true God at the moment that they need him most. It solidifies the truth that the time of the Antichrist is a struggle for the souls of mankind. That's what's happening here. God is showing himself, and God is inviting people to trust him one final time, but the Antichrist comes and shows himself, and he invites people to worship him. There is this battle for the souls of humanity, and people ultimately, scripture says, people ultimately and finally will choose which way they're gonna go, and we see it right here, and it's very sad. So this beast is given a mouth to utter blasphemies for 42 months, everybody say 42 months. What are these forty two months? What are these three and a half years? we keep We keep coming across this time and time again in Revelation. It's pictured in chapter 11 in the trampling of the outer court in Jerusalem. It's also pictured with the witnesses, the divine witnesses in chapter 11, this 42 months, three and a half years. It's also in chapter 12, we talked about last week, during the the picture of the time of protection of the woman or the, the people of God that it was representing, three and a half years, 42 months. And here in chapter 13, it's pictured as the time of this beast. So what is this three and a half year period of time? Some believe it's just a number, it doesn't mean anything. But as you read this chapter, there's some more details to it than that. It's symbolizing more than just a random number. It actually is a period of time, and then it lets you know what it really means, which is three and a half years, and many people believe this represents the last three and a half years, the last half of the seven years of tribulation. That in the first half of the tribulation, you have God's wrath coming upon the world and people having the opportunity to trust in Jesus again, but in the last half, Satan gets an opportunity to come into the world and show how he would rule, and in that opportunity, people have a final moment to turn to God or turn to Satan and notice which way they turn. The Bible says that they're gonna turn to Satan. Listen, this is the very reason why he makes war against the saints. Those believers that are still on the earth at this time of the tribulation. So are people gonna be able to come to Christ during the tribulation? Absolutely. The church that we have now, the dispensation of grace that we are in, from the moment of the resurrection, we enter the dispensation of law, or well, we enter from the dispensation of law into the dispensation of grace. Anybody glad that we live in the grace period? But there's coming a point in the grace of God, in the dispensation of grace, the rapture of the church will happen. It is imminent. It can happen any day right now. We ought to be looking to it. We ought to be praying for it as scripture commands us to. We ought to pray, Come, Lord Jesus. Come on, Lord Jesus. Come, take us, take us home. We still have a job to do in this earth, which means as a church, it doesn't mean that we look for the rapture and we hide away in a corner singing, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. God didn't put us in this earth to huddle up till we go home. He put us in this earth with a mission. And as long as we got a heartbeat and breath in our lungs and people are going to hell, we have a mission to reach people. But after we are raptured and the tribulation comes, are people gonna get an opportunity to receive Jesus? Yes, because even though the church is taken out of the world, God's spirit is not. And he is still doing what he does which is turning the hearts of man toward Jesus. There's gonna be a great revival during all this and we'll talk about it in further chapters in Revelation. Now, we established earlier that we believe the church is gonna be raptured out of the earth and taken to God. We talked about that. There are gonna be opportunity for people to come to Christ during the tribulation. Jewish believers, Gentile believers, I'm telling you there's a great move of God, a revival. The biggest revival in the history of the world is gonna happen in the tribulation. I'm gonna talk about it in chapters to come. But the Bible says the Antichrist will make war against those believers that are in the world at the time. So even though there's gonna be this massive revival happening, there's gonna be massive persecution. Horrors and torments upon people the likes of which have not been seen since the Roman Empire. And if you, you want to get an idea of what that looks like, go get Fox's Book of Martyrs and read the real stories of the people in the Roman Empire, first century Christians and what happened to them, how they were dressed, whole families of them, in lamb skin and poured blood on them, lamb's blood on them, and they released them into the Colosseum and they turned tigers and lions loose to rip them apart in front of a screaming crowd. Read how they would literally skin and fillet bodies alive and then hang them, hang them alive in the streets for days until they died, screaming in anguish as people went about their business like it was nothing. Read how they would cause some of them, they would take them out to a frozen lake And they would put them naked, huddles of them 50, 100 at a time, put them naked onto a frozen lake and all around the rim of the lake they would have these huge pots of baths, of warm baths the Roman soldiers would make and tell them, you can come get in this hot bath anytime you want. All you have to do is forsake your Jesus and worship the emperor. And they would stay out there on that frozen lake and they would freeze to death, not forsaking the name of the Lord their God. You've never seen torment. Torment. Like It's gonna happen to believers the way that the Antichrist is going to unleash it during this time. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? He'll be given authority over the nations. Now watch this. Because of all these descriptions of the beast, it ends with a scripture for us as God's people in this first description, and that's verses nine and 10. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Come on, how many have spiritual ears to hear, right? If anyone is to go into captivity, talking about the believers during this time, if anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with a sword, with the sword, they will be killed. This calls, help me out, this calls for what? Faithful. And faithfulness on the part of God's people. So we know that people will still be coming to Christ during the tribulation and they will be enduring the most brutal persecution you can ever imagine, but there's a greater point here. and We cannot think for one minute as believers today that we are going to be exempt from certain persecution and suffering in this earth even before the rapture. We better pay attention to what's happening in the climate of the world politically right now. There is evil at work. I don't care what you think. I don't care what you say. I am telling you as a spokesperson on behalf of truth, I'm telling you as the the voice of God's spirit to you today, wake up, church. There is evil at work in the political hierarchy of our world and, yes, even our nation right now to take away our religious freedoms. Pastor, do you believe we're gonna see physical persecution like that for rapture of the church? No, I do not. And I'll tell you why I fundamentally do not believe that. Because the Bible calls us the bride of Christ. And God's wrath, he poured out on his son. He did not create his bride for abuse. However, do not think for one minute that the church will not endure some political persecution before the time of the coming of the Son of God. Oh, it's happening right now. It's happening right now. Right? I could get into all kinds of examples. I don't have time for it. So how do believers of this day and of the day in Revelation 13, how do we deal with this kind of intimidation that's coming? Well, John says, for the beast that rules through intimidation, believers need two things. Patient endurance and faithfulness. Friends, that's always been true. When believers are intimidated, guess what we do? We patiently endure it. We don't run and cower and hide. This is what separates the wheat from the chaff. Crisis has a way. Let me tell you what God's doing during all this COVID mess right now. You don't think he's in charge of all this? Did he cause it? No, but is he gonna use it? Yep. Let me tell you what he's doing right now. He's separating the real from the fake right now because crisis has a way of separating the true believer from the fake believer, from those who are playing church to those who are really in a relationship with Jesus. Crisis and intimidation and fear has a way of causing the fake believer to go into the world wholeheartedly, but causes those who are really in Christ to press into him all the more. That's what's happening right now. He's separating the weed from the chaff right now. You better check your heart. There is a separation. Listen, the angels are taking a sickle to the earth. And God is separating it. Why do you think he's doing it? Through this little pandemic that we're in, this thing we're in, this so-called pandemic that we're in. Why do you think that God has allowed the media, to make such a fear-mongering about this whole thing and, and for weaponizing a legitimate illness to, for political purposes. Yes, I said it. Well, pastor, you shouldn't be talking on those issues. Yes, I should. You ain't read your Bible. You don't know who Jesus was. Jesus was all into the social issues of his day. And as long as I got a mouth and I'm the pastor, I'm gonna talk about it. I believe people are looking for strong leadership today. All this sissified leadership that's going on in the world right now, and nobody wants to say nothing. Everybody's scared of offending everybody. Nobody's intimidated by everybody. Nobody wants to say this is right and this is wrong. Not this one, not this one, not this one. It's being weaponized. Why do you think God is allowed? Listen, God's not out there going, oh my goodness what on earth is happening? He is large and in charge of every bit of this. And he's using it for his long-term purposes. I'm telling you right now, there's some people that used to come to church all the time and now you ain't here, you don't know where they are. They did pop smoke, they're gone. Gone. Try to find them. Some of them try to call them, they ain't answer the phone, they ain't nowhere. What do you think's happening? God is using this to separate. Why? Because there's something coming and the remnant's gonna be part of it. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? So, whew. y'all beg you ready. I'm about, I'm about tired. Listen. <laughs> My preach is gonna change, y'all. I'm just telling you right now. If you don't like it, you ain't gonna like it here. All right, that was the first beast. Y'all ready for the second beast? (laughs) He ain't cuter. I promise you, he ain't cuter. Can I go to the second one? I'm giving you a lot. And like I've said, every Sunday, we're going over our time, so bar the doors. Keep the people for the next service in the lobby. But in this second beast... We're gonna look at the interpretation questions that come from the image of the beast. We're gonna look at the mark of the beast and just say, we're gonna look at the, 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 the famous number 666. We're gonna look at all that. But here we enter the second beast that John saw, verse 11. I saw a second beast coming out of the earth now. The first one came out of the sea. This one comes out of the earth. And it had two horns like a lamb, but it spoke like a dragon. And so, just as we did the first beast, we're gonna look at descriptions and actions. So first, let's look at the descriptions of the beast. I don't got much to say about the descriptions because it's pretty self-explanatory that he says, first of all, it has two horns like a lamb, and then he says, but it speaks like a dragon. That's pretty easy to figure out. Who is the lamb of God, everybody? Wow, five of you knew the answer to that one. We got a lot of work to do up in Vibrant Church. Who is the lamb of God, everybody? All right, who is the beast imitating then? Let's try this again. Um, Work with me. Who is the true lamb of God? So who is the beast trying to imitate? There you go, Jesus. But who does he speak like? Satan. Watch this now. The second beast is imitating Jesus, but he's speaking the voice of Satan. There's no interpretation needed for this, all right? We can look at this and we know exactly what this is. Write this down. This is a spiritual leader that rules through deception. So watch, in the first beast, you have a political leader that rules through intimidation, and now you have a spiritual beast, a spiritual leader who rules through deception. Two horns like a lamb and speaks like a dragon. No, that's not prophesying your spouse. (laughs) Sounds just like him, I swear. The Bible's so true. (laughs) Don't miss this. Two horns like a lamb speaks like a dragon. Don't miss this. The Antichrist is one who sets himself up as a fake Christ. If you've ever read C.S. Lewis's books on the the Chronicles of Narnia, you know about them? The the last book is called The Last Battle, and I love this book because he gives a picture of this in the last novel of that series. He pictures it with animals, though. Throughout the whole series, uh, remember, in the Chronicles of Narnia, throughout the whole series, Aslan, the lion, is a picture of Jesus Christ. But in the last book of the series, a donkey and an ape find a skin of a lion, not Aslan, it's another lion, but they find a skin of a lion and they sew the skin of the lion onto the donkey and the ape tells the world that the skin of the lion sewn on the donkey is Aslan, that it is God. It's not a bad picture of what we're talking about right here, that somehow the world is fooled into believing that something as fake and phony as a dead skin of a lion that's sewn to a donkey is God. How many of you know that's foolish, right? That's what I like about C.S. Lewis's book is that it laughs at the foolishness of this, yet scripture reveals people are going to fall for this foolishness. And that's what breaks our heart as believers, man. And this is how the beast is described. So what are now the actions of this beast? Let's look at the actions of the second beast and we pick it up in verse 12. It exercised all the authority of the first beast on its behalf and it made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed and it performed great signs, even, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of people. Because of the signs it was given the power to perform on behalf of the first beast, it deceived the inhabitants of the earth. It ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. The second beast was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could, so that that image could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. It also forced all people, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on the right hands or on the foreheads so that they could not buy or sell unless they had that mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of its name, and this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight calculate the number of the beast for the number, it is the number of a man, and that is 666. 666. So we understand that. This is the actions of this beast. So here we are right here. This is what John saw. He saw that it has the exercises authority over the, the, it has the authority of the first beast, right? It exercises that. It performs miraculous signs. It does that. And then it orders people to set up an image of the first beast. And then he orders everyone in the earth to receive a mark that you can't buy and sell or engage in any transaction without it. So here's how he influences, watch this. By exercising the authority of the first beast, listen, he influences politically. And he'll have political influence. Also, he influences spiritually by performing miraculous signs and showing all these kind of false miracles. And he'll he'll order people to set up an image of the beast so religiously he'll influence because he causes the world to worship what is false and then he'll order everyone to receive a mark and that's for the purpose of buying and selling which means that he's also going to influence financially. Now I want you to think about this. If you can get the people of the world politically and you can get them spiritually and you can get them religiously and you can get them financially, how many know you got them? You got all of them. That's what this is all about. It says that he sets up an image of the beast. What is this image? It's an actual idol that is set up in the earth. Now in John's day, they understood this because Caesar was worshiped as a god. They set up idols and images of him all over the Roman Empire to worship him as a god. But here in Revelation, Scripture reveals that this is a kind of idol that apparently moves and talks I don't know if it's technological. I don't know if it's spiritual. The Bible doesn't tell us, and people love to look at all these kind of things and say, "Well, it's got to be technological." But let me tell you, Satan can do things and has been doing things for a long time spiritually that we can't even do technologically. For instance, we still can't turn water—we still can't turn water to blood like the Egyptian magi- magicians did in the day of Moses. That was done under the power of the evil one. We still can't do that technologically. So to think of everything in Revelation like, well, this this is what we think because of our scientific minds, right? That's the way it's gonna be, it's gotta be by technology. That's just our fear of technology. Come on, there's a lot of different ways Satan can do something. I don't know how he's gonna do this, but what this image is, if you got this false ruler, this fake ruler, and, and he, you've got this image of this fake ruler and this false ruler that they've set up as a God. It's a copy of a fake, and people will worship it instead of worship the true God. And then it says that he orders everyone to receive a mark. What is this? The mark of the beast. Come on, everybody say the mark of the beast. Dun, dun, dun. I love getting Christians stirred up about this. Oh my goodness, the mark of the beast. Is it a credit card? (laughs) Is it a microchip? Embedded in our hand, in our foreheads. Some people are talking right now about the vaccine that's coming. It's got digital tracking systems in it. They're gonna be able to track you. I'm telling you, the vaccine is gonna be the mark of the beast heard all this stuff for years, man. I'm telling you, people are more scared today about the mark of the beast than anything I can imagine. They don't want to do nothing because they're scared. I have people actually tell me, man, I don't want to sign up for some credit card, something with the bank, and I accidentally get the mark of the beast. (laughs) Understand this, let me just, let me help you out. Scripture reveals to receive the mark of the beast, you have to agree to worship the beast. You can't accidentally receive the mark of the beast. Does that help you feel better, everybody? Okay? It's not gonna, be, it's not gonna happen by accident. <laughs> you know, where you just one day wake up and you get a call from the bank and they say, by the way, the debit cards you have, you now are worshiping the beast. We just wanted to let you know. What? No, 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 you have to choose. Everybody say choose. You have to choose. But during this time, the believers that are here have already been marked by God. Believers aren't gonna get the chance to receive the mark of the beast. They're gonna be persecuted by the beast. The whole world will be able to buy and sell and eat and live in homes and do what they're doing except for believers. So that fear that somehow has made its way into our hearts at times is an invalid fear. It's not a biblical fear. It's based on what some TV shows or some movies have said about what's gonna happen and not on what the word of God says is gonna happen. So hear me clearly. You cannot accidentally (laughs) receive the mark of the beast. You can't slip on a banana peel and oops, fall into the mark of the beast. It's not gonna happen like that. You must choose to worship the beast in order to receive the mark of the beast. Are we clear about this, everybody? All right. So how do you defeat this second beast? Because it says in verse 18 that this calls for what? Wisdom. wisdom. So for, for, for the first beast that rules by intimidation, God's people has to have patient endurance and faithfulness. But for the beast that rules through deception, believers need wisdom. You see how this chapter lays itself out? See, this chapter is all about the great counterfeit. The great counterfeit. Let me show you what I mean. Write these things down real quick. It's first of all about a counterfeit trinity. You have the dragon, the first beast, and you have the second beast. Satan is setting up an unholy counterfeit trinity. Hey, you wanna see the difference between the two trinities? Oh, y'all better, y'all better get excited. If I, I ain't gonna show you if you're gonna sit there like a bump on a log. If this don't juice you, you you ain't even a believer. I'm sorry. You need to get saved right today. Here's the difference between the unholy trinity of Satan and the holy trinity of God. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse eight, talking about this evil trinity, it says, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and will go to his destruction. Hold on, no, 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 no. (laughs) Now, remember the description of God from Revelation 4 and verse 8. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. That's the difference right there. Satan is who once was, now is not, and will be destroyed. Almighty God is who was, who is, and who evermore shall be. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I want to follow God with the future. So this chapter is all about a counterfeit trinity. Secondly, it also is talking about a counterfeit resurrection. Whether it's the resurrection of a nation, as some people think, or or, or coming back to life of the Antichrist, there's a counterfeit resurrection that's going on here. Even spiritually, you see the faking of what happened to Jesus on the cross, that Jesus was wounded and he died and was resurrected. Let me tell you something. The Antichrist is going to be able to duplicate everything Jesus did except it's not gonna be by the power of God. So there comes a point that the Antichrist in Revelation talks about, we'll get into this later, that he will be slain. But then right before the eyes of the world, he will come back to life three days later. Why must he do that? Because he's trying to fake Jesus. And the world's going to believe that he is the Messiah. And I want you to understand something. Satan's not creative. He ain't got a creative part of his DNA. He's so predictable, it's ridiculous. But I'm gonna tell you something about this counterfeit thing that Satan does. He's been doing the counterfeit game all through history. That's why you've got to be careful what you allow into your life. It may be a counterfeit for the real thing that God wants to bring you. I tell people all the time, oh, she has gotta be the one. Oh, he's gotta be the one. I looked at him while I was worshiping and he had his hand up too looking at me. He's gotta be the one. My question is, why was he looking at you during worship? It's because Satan always has a counterfeit for the real thing. He's been doing this for all the ages. Some of you business deals, you better watch what you sign your name to. Because it may look good, it may talk like the real thing, look like the real thing, but it may be a false counterfeit of what God was going to bring you. But because of your impulsiveness and because of your lack of self-control and you're not praying about and being led by the Spirit to hear his voice, you signed your name to something that's gonna get you in trouble. That friend, oh, 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 they just love you. Oh, they just fanfare you. And oh, I can tell my deepest, darkest secret. Oh, oh, they're just great. Well, yeah, you know what? They may be a counterfeit for a real friendship that God does wanna bring you and that person you put your pearls before that swine and they end up embarrassing you and taking your news all around the city. Because Satan will always have a counterfeit, always. You can see it all throughout scripture. For every Isaac there's an Ishmael, every time. You can go all throughout history and see it. Satan will always have a counterfeit. So you have here a counterfeit resurrection, but you also have here counterfeit worship. We looked again and again at it, worshiping the false god. You also have in this chapter counterfeit rule. Satan is setting himself up as the ruler of the world and that's been happening for a long time. How many times has he tried to bring forth his man of perdition into the earth? You have that in this chapter, but you also have, and we just talked about it counterfeit miracles. When Jesus came, he worked miracles. When this ruler comes, he will work miracles. They'll be counterfeit, they won't, they'll be happening by the power of evil, not by the power of God, but they will be there. And then you have in this chapter a counterfeit mark. Remember, the mark of the beast is a counterfeit mark and a sign. Of the sign and the seal that God puts upon his people. It's a counterfeit to that. God has a mark on his people. Satan also has a mark on his people. It's a counterfeit. It's a fake. Satan has never created anything. All he knows how to do is copy and fake and counterfeit everything that is holy to God. Aren't you glad that God is the creator? He is the creative one. Right? So this chapter talks about the counterfeit God, Satan. Now, just for a moment, let's unpack this mark of the beast a little further. Can, can we do that just for a minute? Are Y'all, y'all not, aren't bored, are you? Okay, I want to unpack, unpack this mark of the beast thing. I want to go back to verse 18. It says, this calls for wisdom. Let the person who has insight, everybody say Calculate. <laughs> Let the person who has insight calculate the number of this beast, for it is the number of a man. And that number is 666. I'm telling you, this has caused more speculation than anything I've ever seen in the book of Revelation. Everybody wants to know, who's the Antichrist? And people read this right here, calculate the number of the beast, 666. And you know what they do? They get out their calculations. Oh, we've seen the Bible code all these calculations that people make, right? And they start adding this number to that number and that Roman numeral to this Greek numeral and that Hebrew numeral and American numeral and French numerals. Anything it takes to come up with the right number of who they think the beast is going to be. And based on their numerology, people have decided that Nero was the beast, right? Or they decided that Caligula was the beast, Muhammad was the beast, Cromwell was the beast. Knox was the beast. Martin Luther was even labeled the beast because of the calculations of man. Many popes throughout history have been labeled the beast by by, uh, those who are calculating the number. right? Martin Luther, Adolf Hitler was said to be the Antichrist. All, All these people, Henry Kissinger was even thought to be the Antichrist. John F. Kennedy, as I said earlier, was during his day the church, many people in the church will thought he's the antichrist, right? Gorbachev was said to be the antichrist, mostly because of that thing on his head. But whatever. <laughs> Listen, there's even people who believe that President Ronald Reagan was the antichrist in the 80s. And do you know why? Because his name, his full name, was Ronald Wilson Reagan. Six letters in each name. Six, six, six. Reagan was the Antichrist. People thought President Obama was the Antichrist. Right now, people think Trump is the Antichrist. Actually, they think he's the devil himself, but they think he's the Antichrist. Trump's gotta be the Antichrist. There's all these people that think all these things, and they spend hours adding and calculating this stuff up. So listen up, everybody. Listen up loud and clear. Lean into this because I don't want you to worry about this any longer, any more past today. I'm gonna give you my solid and credible opinion. I have spent years calculating and working this out, and I know who the beast is. I know who the Antichrist is going to be. Are you ready? I can prove beyond the shadow of any doubt that the beast is Mickey Mouse. I promise you. Hey, let me show you how it works. I'm gonna show you how I did my calculations, okay? Here's how I did my calculation. You take the letters in the name Walt Disney, that's 10. Plus the letters in Donald Duck, that equals 20. Plus 101 Dalmatians, that's 121. And then minus seven dwarfs, that's 114. And minus three ugly stepsisters, and that's 111. Times the numbers in Mickey, and it equals 666. 666. Snicky mouse. Snicky mouse. Now, listen, I'm not making light of the beast, but I am making light of what we sometimes do with it. Why do I do that? I did it to show you that many times people use math magic to predict who the beast is. Come on, you can't, you you can prove that anybody's the beast when you use math magic. They'll add this name to that name and this language to that language. They'll make the name longer and shorter. They'll do Hebrew, they'll do Greek. It really doesn't matter the interpretation you have of the book of Revelation or who, who, who you want the beast to be. People do it this way. What does this mean? Verse 18 said it calls for wisdom. It calls for wisdom. What does that mean? I don't know. I don't have the wisdom to figure it out. Over 2,000 years, people haven't been able to figure that out. I do know one thing it means and if you miss this, you've missed the main point. Let's go back to verse 18 and show you this. It says, for it is the number of a, it's the number of a who? A man. Most of us think that it's the number of a certain man, but that's not what this means. Man's number means man's number. Basically, seven in, in, biblically is the number of perfection. And how many of you believe that's God Himself? Six is one short of perfection. Six is imperfect. Biblically, six is the number of man. So, what scripture is saying is this is not some spiritual ruler. This is not God Himself come back to the earth. This is a person, this is a man who is going to be possessed by Satan and used in a horrible way. This evil Trinity. 666, that counterfeits the Holy Trinity, 777. Friends, if you look at Revelation 12 and 13, the truth is you see a lot of evil. But can I tell you, I see incredible hope. Yes, amen. Incredible hope. In, in Revelation, in chapters 11 and 13, Satan is allowed to throw his worst at the world. The doors are open, and yes, he's allowed to throw his worst, but it's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough to defeat those who believe in Jesus. Also, the dragon is defeated by Michael the archangel. I want you to see, it's not enough. He doesn't have the power to have victory in heaven and he doesn't have the power to eventually have victory in the earth. Also, this beast coming out of the sea is resisted through the patient endurance and faithfulness of God's people. Don't you see, it's not enough. He doesn't have the power to defeat us. He doesn't have the power to defeat our faith. And then when the beast comes out of the land and we can figure out, but it's not, it's kind of confusing to kind of figure out that 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 is false and this is real. and And it's not enough. It's not enough to defeat the purposes of God. Come on, what a great story. Aren't you glad that no matter what Satan throws at us, it's not gonna be enough. It's not gonna be enough. Come on, that although things get difficult, they never have to get so difficult that we can't have victory. Although things get dark, they never have to get so dark that we can't see the light in it. And although life, even right now, even before all this happens, although life gets hard sometimes, it never gets so hard for us that you and I can't see the reality of God's love for us in Christ Jesus. How many believe that's good news, everybody? That's good news. It's good news. Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one moving around. Father, thank you for your word today. God I thank you that you have limited even Satan himself he don't have enough he ain't got enough but I thank you God that you are the God of more than enough I thank you God that you will have victory in the end and we get to share in it as your people I pray you give hope to those that are here and those that are watching online. That even in the dark times that we're living in now, the tough times, it doesn't get so dark that we can't see the light. It doesn't get so hard that we can't see your purpose is being fulfilled in this moment. Strengthen the faith of your people today. Turn our hearts towards you, God, in a greater way than ever before. And she just remain in prayer. I'm gonna make this really quick. For those of you watching online, those of you in this room, if you're here this morning and you are not sure where you stand with Jesus, let me tell you right now, this is nothing to play with. This is serious. If you're far from Jesus in your heart, if you are not born again, if you are not, I'm not talking about where you went to church, where you grew up and what church you I'm not talking about any religious thing. I'm talking about a real relationship with Jesus. Listen, if you are not in Christ, this world is as good as it's gonna get for you. Whatever it is right now is as good as it's gonna get for you. Because what comes after this world is horrors that are unspeakable. Because there is a very real place called hell. And God sends no one there. People send themselves because they reject the love and the mercy of God. If you are in Christ and you are sure of that, this world is as bad as it's gonna get for you because everything after this is glorious. I'm really talking in this moment to those of you here and those of you online, who maybe you're sitting here in this moment right now and I really believe the Holy Spirit of God is gripping your heart, saying today is your day, this is your moment Don't play with this. Don't wake up one day. and The church is gone from the world and you missed it. Because this is all you're going to be looking forward to. We talked about this morning. You have an opportunity right now. I beg of you, do not harden your heart toward the Spirit of God today. He is there. He is knocking at the door of your heart. He loves you just like you are but you've gotta let him in, it's your choice. Well, I believe in God, I believe in you. Je- hey, the Bible says even the demons believe and they tremble. If our faith is no greater than that of demons, <laughs> it's not what you believe, it's what you live. Has it changed you? And for some of you, maybe you're coming to the realization this morning that I've just believed all this time and hasn't really changed. I don't don't really feel, I don't really feel close to God. I feel like big distance from him. Friend, I wanna pray with you right now. Heads bowed, eyes closed, if that's you this morning. And I wanna pray with you just right where you sit. If you're watching online, I wanna pray with you across your screen. If that's you in this room and you say, yes, pastor, get me in on that prayer. I want a fresh start with God. I want you to lift your hand boldly right now. I wanna pray for you. Come on, come on, now's the day. Today's the time. This is it right here. God bless you. You and you and you and you. I see you all up here in the stadium. I see you guys. God bless you. God bless you. I see you right there. God bless you. Up there, I see you. I see you. Praise God for you. Come on, let me see your hand. I wanna see you. God bless you back here. God bless you. Praise God for you. God bless you up there. I see you. Praise God. Church, I want us to pray with these right now that raise their hand and let's just pray with them. I'm gonna lead you in a very simple prayer. Pray this from your heart right now. Pray, dear God, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me, forgive me of my sins. I surrender all of my life completely to you. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me to live for you. Thank you for a fresh start and a new beginning. In Jesus' name. And everybody said a big amen. Come on, can we give God some praise today? for people coming to Jesus. Amen. Wow. Wow. If you did raise your hand and pray that prayer with me, we would love to know who you are just to pray for you and celebrate with you. If you would reach into the seat back in front of you, and there's a connection card there. Would you take that out and just quickly just fill out your information? It'll take you a few seconds. Just let us know who you are. and and you can drop that in one of the containers the the ushers are holding in the exit ways as you leave. Just let us know, we'd love to pray for you, celebrate with you, reach out to you, see how we can be a source of strength in your relationship with God. We have systems here for that, that will help you in your your walk with with Jesus, man. And listen, I wanna thank you, church, for being generous. This is a moment in our services where we usually come to a place of generosity. We believe here at Vibrant in the biblical command to return the tithe to God because it is holy to him. And he has a blessing attached to that for those who honor it. We believe in giving offerings even above that, above the tithe, just sowing into the work of God. And I thank you, church, for being so generous. As you know, we're not passing offering containers in our services right now due to just cautions and and just being careful. Uh, But we do want you to participate and prayerfully consider participating and partnering with us in your generosity, especially for those of you who call Vibrant Church your home church. If you're watching online, we'd love for you to participate as well. Thank you for helping us. Just this past uh, couple of weeks ago, you, you heard that we gave away over 700 boxes of food to needy people in our community during this crisis that we're in. And this Wednesday, we're doing it again. And why? Because of your generosity. You guys are making that happen and touching our city in a powerful way. And so thank you for doing that. And so right now, if you'd like to participate in generosity today, and it's a, it's a sign of worship biblically, you can do it three different ways. You can actually use the envelopes in the seat back in front of you if you wanna do that physically. And you can just keep it with you, fill it out. And on your way out the exits, the ushers will have containers. Just drop it in there, you give as you go. Or you can actually go online. You can go to our website at vibrantchurch.com giving. You can go there, it's secure. You can give that way. Or you can actually text to give which is what most people do uh, in our church and even online. And you can text the word vibrant to 77977 and it'll give you some secure steps. Uh, We just try to make it as many opportunities for people to make it easy for people to participate. But thank you for participating and investing in lives being changed during these final days. That we're in amen everybody hey would you stand to your feet this morning thank you for being patient i said this every sunday i know this is a different series in time length because there's just too much to do in a 30 minute period but i appreciate you Uh, striving with me and being patient in the process. I hope you're receiving something out of this. I'm enjoying it. Are you enjoying it? Everybody, I'm enjoying the study on Revelation. Hey, let me pray for you before we leave, before you walk out the door. Would you just open your hands and receive this? I just pray, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face toward you. And may he give you peace in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you. We'll see you Wednesday night online, 7 o'clock. Have a great week.